Hey, welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Here we are, season two, episode four. Today, I get to sit down with Pastor Brent Ingersoll. He's the pastor of King's Church in Atlantic Canada. They're a multi-site church. They've got sites in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. And Brent is such a compelling leader and so full of faith and thoughtfulness and optimism. I left this conversation feeling so full of hope for the future of the church in Canada. And in this conversation, Brent led us into a really turbulent time in the life of their church. Uh, when he was 29, he was on staff and there was some transition in leadership and he found himself really left trying to lead a fractured church into a new future. And what God has done with King's Church really gives me great hope for what he might do in the future of the church in Canada we talked about a number of things in this conversation. We talked about revival. We talked about personal disciplines as a leader, about prayer, about COVID-19. And I know you're going to appreciate this conversation. So here we go. Check it out. Welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. We want to serve church leaders and their teams by sharing honest and thoughtful conversations about pastoral leadership. In this podcast, we were exploring the question, what does it mean to lead people in the way of Jesus in the midst of today's world? Let's jump into today's conversation. Well, hey, Brent, I'm really grateful for you being here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a yes. long time. It's an interesting time to be chatting. We're in the middle of COVID-19 Indeed. conversations all over Canada and around the world. And so I appreciate you taking time to jump on a call. It's a privilege. I think it's an it's a important time to be having these conversations. So let's get it. Let's get it. Well, here's where I want to end up at some point in our conversation today. I want to talk about the transition leadership that you experienced when you were 29 mm -hmm. at the church you're leading now. It's a number of years ago. I want to talk about what you learned in that time. I'd love to talk about what it was like before the transition, leading as number two or number three yeah. in an organization. I want to talk about leading in times of uncertainty, which is relevant now. But before that, when we were chatting yesterday and I said, what's on your heart? You just said something that really stuck out to me. You're like, really, I'm thinking a lot about revival. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'd love to start. Like, what do you mean when you say I'm thinking about revival? Uh, that's obviously a huge loaded question. And I'd love to hear what you think about it. But what comes to mind for me, first and foremost, is like a, a return to like the knowledge of the fear of the Lord in hmm. not just in the church. Well, first in the church, but then throughout throughout culture, throughout the, the country, just a wave of people having a, a moment of realization and awakening to the holiness and greatness and grandeur of God in a way. It's mm. kind of like that Isaiah six picture where Isaiah has this revelation. He sees God high and lifted up and it totally resets everything. He has that, he has that vision. He, he realizes the significance or at least at some level what he can wrap his head around the significance of who God is. And it wrecks him, right? First, it's like that. It's like, yeah. that, wow. And then, woe is me, you know? And then it <laughs> starts to put you in perspective. And, you know, I feel like that that fear of God piece is a real key in, mm. you know, if I think about awakening, I think about renewal, to see to see the, the revelation of the, the grandeur, the greatness, and the goodness of God grip and capture the hearts and minds and ultimately lives of people of this nation that's that's what i think of when i think of revival it begins with that yeah. that revelation and as you as we find ourselves in that posture of 
surrender and humility before God, that's the, that's the point at which he reaches and touches us. Right. Even that Isaiah six, you know, yeah. when he's in a heap, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. And that's when, you know, the, the, the ember, you know, touches his lips and cleanses him. So I, I think it's that whole spectrum. It's like, uh, yeah. the realization of the greatness of God. And, and I mean, you know, I'd love to get your take on this, but when I look at culture now, it's, you know, secular humanism is kind of huge, which is really just that idea of, you know, humans as God really is, as our own kind yeah. of divine uh, engineers. And yeah. I think, I think this whole thing begins. And so something like the COVID-19 you know, you look at that as a person of faith and a person who has a heart for revival. You're like, here's an opportunity for people to be reminded of their own insignificance and hopefully an, a window that just like the glory and greatness and, and goodness and grace of God can rush in and capture minds and hearts. And then ultimately mm-hmm. that flows out into, into life, right? I think it's right in, right after Isaiah is touched by the, by the, the ember, then he asks God, or God asks, you know, who will I send? And Isaiah's like, I'm in. I'll do whatever you mm-hmm. call me to do because he's got that, like, the fire, right? So that's yeah. a microcosm for me. Well, hey, the reason why it stuck out to me so much is because I remember as a 16-year-old when I had my heart, like, set on fire. I had a personal revival, okay. you know, at a, as a teenager. I grew up in a Christian home, had a personal revival. Where was that? Was that at, and then like, I remember, camp or? Yeah, it was interesting. It was a mix of a few things, but it was a camp. And I don't remember what the speaker was talking about. It just was like, um, it just got me. Yep. I don't know. I just was gripped. And it, it really, I went from being like, I don't believe God's real. Anyways, it gripped my heart. And then I started reading the Bible mm-hmm. and I had no like clever hermeneutic to like dismiss miracles. Right. or. And so I remember really being gripped and being like, oh, I want to see revival in Canada. Like so 16 year old, I want to see revival in my yep. country was praying and felt like God was saying, reach everyone, you know? And then I would talk to adults about it and they'd go, ha ha ha. Like, yeah, they kind of laughed at the thought of revival. And I remember kind of like building. Yeah. And it was almost like, Hey, you'll learn one day. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to be cynical about any of these individuals, but it's almost like the subtext was like, you'll learn one day that we go after incremental change Mm. or manage attrition, but none of us are really going for revival. And I feel like I gave into that a little bit. I got into really technique thinking yeah. and I, I'm a big fan of technique. And so I'm like, how do we do like incremental yeah. growth? Um, but I feel like we're in a moment where it's like anything short of talking about revival doesn't make I any agree. sense because like if God doesn't move yeah. and there isn't that personal renewal, I heard Mark Sayers one time say, um, revival is personal renewal gone viral. Yes. Like, so if, yes. if anything short of personal renewal in individual yeah. hearts and then that going yeah. out, and I just was really refreshed and actually like, because you're, you know, you're a gifted leader, bro. You're leading an effective church. You're growing multi-site. You're doing all the things that we could talk and we should talk sure. about all those things. But to hear you go, dude, I'm not dreaming about incremental no. growth. I'm dreaming about people being struck by the holiness of God. So that really impacted yeah, and me. If, I mean, if you, I think, again, we might be being naive, Jason, and we might be, I hope not 20 years from now saying, no, it was incremental growth. But I don't think we are. I really think we're on the precipice. If you study, if you study like, history of different awakenings and different renewals that have happened uh the welsh revival the the great awakening like the climate was similar right like just just Mm -hmm. as far as where the human heart was in society some of just like the 
the signs are there. You know, and I feel like, man, it should be our job, our primary job as Christian leaders right now in this hour in the church to be people who, who cast the dream for revival, who, who pray for it, who call on God for it, who position the church for it as well. I think one of the things I've been saying a lot to our people, you know, we've been talking about revival here for, for some time, even just like sensing God speaking this. And one of the reasons we even went multi-site, multi-province was I, I have had a, a conviction that there will be awakening in Canada, in North America even, and that God's actually called the church that I lead, King's Church, to be one of uh, just a, the strong churches that has a presence regionally. Because when this wave hits, um, there's going to have to be a certain level of uh, integration and health within the church to be able to be able to even handle um, a, an influx of people coming to faith. Like, I, I think the systems that we have are in some ways inadequate to even deal with um, like a real awakening where what if, what if a third of the population just overnight had a Jason moment where I don't even remember what the guy was saying. I was walking by the church and something gripped my heart and boom, I just gave my life to Jesus. I don't know what we do with, you know, not having room, not having enough staff, not having systems that actually know how to disciple people, like all those things. So, you know, we, I've just had a sense in my, in my spirit for some time, like lead King's church at very least in such a way that is ready for a wave of renewal, obviously work towards mm. seeing people come to faith. We, we want to see growth. We, we want to see baptisms, but you know, when I, when I think about how I've been directing and listening to the spirit and building this ministry, that has been the end in mind. Like that's kind of been the mm. thing at the, at the forefront, just, you know, are we ready for this? Are we in position? Are we, are we going to be part of God's, you know, uh, plan as this thing unfolds. Yeah. I think sometimes there's this like temptation to put like the good work of faithful presence of showing up, of doing the work of prayer, of doing the work of intimacy, mm -hmm. of care for the widow, the orphan, the good daily work of presence that says, no matter what, even if there isn't a wave, I'm going to be yeah. found faithful. I'm going to honor God totally. that way. Sometimes they, that's pit up and against contending for revival speaking about revival right. or, or believing that in a moment. And I actually feel like there is a, an integrated version of that. And I kind of hear that mm -hmm. in your language where it's like, Hey, the faithful showing up is also a faithful believing yeah. for and being found amongst that remnant that goes, Hey, if not in my generation in right. the next, but I'm going to live as right. if totally. So even the, the idea of like the, I think, is it Mark Sayers? Probably I heard say like the form and the fire, you know, and like, it does seem like those two pieces have been sort of separated and pitted against one another. And you'll see, you know, people called to the place of intercession and, you know, the, the place that the, the ones that will cry out for revival. And you'll see the people who just kind of get into engineering the church and almost like those two components not working together. I wonder though, if this is a season in the church in the West anyway, where like that, there's just been a drawing of both of those things, yeah. you know? And I think it's, I think it's something the Lord's doing, the spirit's doing. And that, that, that's what gets me excited. I just, I have more conversations with Christian leaders like yourself or people tuning in that just were sensing the same thing. And I think that's the spirit of God speaking that preparing his church for something he's going to do that, that is, and I know we throw these words around 
and it's, they become cheap, but it is unprecedented. I think what God's going to do, um, at least in mm. our lifetime, you know, so. And this is all happening at the same time as we are seeing decrease in like the stats are consistently decreasing mm-hmm. at an increasing rate of church attendance yeah. across Canada um, and a, around the Western mm-hmm. church. And I've always kind of seen it like the aerial yeah. view, the 30,000 foot view is like forest yeah. fire. Like there's been a real like, but then I think what I hear you saying and tell me what you're seeing on the ground is like in the midst of the ash, there's like really new green yeah. shoots and they're like bearing yeah. fruit. And so tell me a bit about what you're seeing, even in your church and in your community, that's giving you kind of that hopefulness. Just, just within relationships, even um, from with, with pastors. I mean, that's, that's one of the first places I'm obviously encouraged is just hearing so much consistency, even if language is a little different, you're hearing just so much consistency in, man, I just have this sense that God's preparing us for something. I just have this sense that God's doing something. We're starting to see just the, almost like the tide coming in. Like you hear this language uh, all the time. And then, and then as well, you're just seeing, seeing people within our congregation who aren't pastors per se, but like have a passion and a heart for the Lord, uh, stepping into a new level of, of intimacy, a new level of consecration, people like discovering holiness without even having to really preach about it, you know, like just, just cleaning mm. out margin for like to become a living sacrifice in their own way. So, you know, in, in some ways, like it's never been easier to, in some ways, it's never been easier to like, to push people into the presence of God. I've never, I've never felt more in step or more like partnership with the Holy Spirit than I have at this point in my ministry. And I feel like I hear so many pastors saying the same thing. It's just the activity of the Spirit is uncanny, I think, right now. Mm. I think people are picking up on that and there's an increasing amount of people that are responding. You probably, tra- you, you definitely travel more than I do. Like what, the, the limited travel I have, like it was in the UK a couple months ago and, and some in California as well. And like within the Western hemisphere, the limited travel I do, I've found a lot of similar conversations. I don't know, are you picking up the same thing? Yeah, I'm seeing like a grieving of things changing. Mm-hmm. Like there is kind of a letting go of a number of models and that's happening in multiple ways at the same time. It's almost like there's two, three generations of models that people are grieving seeing transition out. And yet at the same time, there is this sense by which man, like people are responding to the invitation to follow Jesus. People are, you know, seeing miracles happen in strange places um, that call the holiness. I'm really struck by it. Like, I'm meeting people. I'm like, there's nothing in culture reinforcing that, that. So then to see that kind of response and, and I feel like also culturally what's going on is the cracks in secularism are beginning to show and nothing like the moment we're in with, with the virus being like, Oh, we had a framework that said we could handle anything. And it's like one thing like this, which is not a small thing is just kind of revealing. And so I think that actually what's interesting, just noticing that like, even the new atheism wave of like a decade or so ago, it's not necessarily like, I think some of us are still responding as if that's the primary right. movement. It doesn't seem like the primary movement. Like we have a, a culture that sees church ultimately as irrelevant, but there's a different type of openness, mm-hmm. at least in Canada that I find really encouraging. Yeah. What I want to ask you though, bro, is like in your own personal life as a leader in light of this, what does it mean for you to reorder? How are you organizing your personal life or your, your staff's life in light of this sort of conviction? I mean, the first thing is holding that vision 
front and center over my own life. And I certainly don't have any sense of, hey, God's purposes and wills will will not happen unless I do my God's going to do as God's going to do, whether Brendan Gersell gets on board or not. I have an opportunity. I have an Hmm. opportunity to do so. But I do, I do feel a great sense of connectivity though, in what God wants to do and responsibility in how I lead myself and how I allow him to bring constant growth and renewal in my own, in my own soul. I, I, you know, it's been a journey uh, as far as what my life looks like and, and how I kind of tend the fire of my own soul. It's been an ongoing, you know, ecosystem that changes. Like, I don't know how you have kids, Jason. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a okay. two-year-old. Yeah. Um, so my morning quiet times used to be a lot yes. more quiet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> than they are yeah. right now. So I have a eleven-year-old, uh, nine-year-old, and four-year-old. So a little oh, bro, less crazy it. as far as like how loud it is. I got a little more stability. I got a middle schooler, so so that's good. But we did get a puppy, so that has messed that has oh, messed man. up everything. Hey, you know what? Why not? Why not? Let's get a puppy during the Why COVID not? crisis. Um, uh, but like the, all that to say, that's always been evolving <laughs> as far as finding, finding space for the Lord to occupy in my life. It, it, it hasn't looked the same in different seasons. The one thing I would say is he keeps asking for more, um, hmm. you know, like not necessarily, um, it's not even necessarily more time. It's more uh, more of my affection, more of my devotion, more of my attention. Um, and so that, that roots itself out in like, I just don't have the margin anymore. And this isn't even necessarily just work related on a personal level, like what I'm willing to watch just keeps, keeps funneling Hmm. down what I'm willing to listen to. Like I'm a musician. Um, I, I started in ministry in music, leading worship, and have always been a bit of a music snob, not big on Christian music, never really was. Um, but I'm, I'm at a season in my life where my soul can't afford to listen to too much hmm. music that just isn't directed in worship. And it's not, it's not a legalistic thing. It's just a, it's this thing I've grown aware of in my own spirit about um, just staying in tune with, with just that, that economy of how, how much space am I creating in my world for the spirit of God to occupy? And I just find him more than ever putting his finger on things that like, it's not sinful, but it's not helpful. And it's like, you know, it's not, that's not, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say thou shalt not listen to this or thou shalt not watch watch that. But I'm just finding more than ever the same way I have, like with my body, um, you know, I, three or four years ago, I was probably 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. I just made some shifts on, and that happened because of like eight years ago, I became senior pastor overnight and, you know, ate to cope <laughs> or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I had, I had to make some health changes and like, so, so my diet, mm. my diet kind of narrowed in and the amount of exercise and all that stuff. And I found my soul to be very similar and probably more so than mm. ever in this season like God just putting his finger yeah. on, Hey, that's not going to be healthy or helpful for you. And so I'm asking you to give me that. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's how it's working out for me. I don't know what a specific example looks like, but I, I'm interested to actually hear, are you, are you sensing some of the same things? Yeah. You know, I'm seeing a couple trends in my own life. I think as 
I think there's a real pull to escapism. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if I'm honest, like as, as in my personal leadership, there's maybe more opportunities and a bit more stress. But then also as I sense the times, there's a part of me that goes, I hear what you're saying. I'm like, I'm all in, bro. And then I'm doing the quick audit of my life. And I'm like, but there's a real pull just to, to veg out, just to oh, cope. My goodness. You know what I mean? It's, you know, whether it's after a preach yep. or it's after or aware of, like, hey, I've got this hard meeting tomorrow and I just don't even want to think about it. Yep. And so I feel that, I just feel that real tension and just really grateful for you even speaking to it. Obviously, there's no sense that you're like, man, I got this nailed. Not at all. But I feel like, I feel like one of the interesting things, again, there's things we don't talk about. We can't talk about revival. That's too idealistic. Right. We can't talk about giving because, you know, we got to keep that private. Right. We can't talk about holiness because we don't want anyone to feel judged. But then as a result, I'm saying, well, I need to see the leaders that are saying, no, I'm, I, we can't afford to. Yeah veg out and i've been really appreciative of a couple leaders saying hey i want to speak into and there's obviously a resurgence of uh like a slowed down spirituality yeah Yeah. and that's really good for our emotional health and i also believe that'll pave the way to an increase in intercession and other things i'm just i'm actually really in the season of auditing my life and being quite aware of where i'm feeling maybe not like i'm hitting a home run yeah i think i think that's the that's the that's that zone though i think the lord wants us to be in is like if he just has permission to call into question things and, and if you're willing to kind of lay those down, I think that escapism thing, that, I mean, that's the bat. I think that's the battle for most pastors is like, how do I recover? And, you know, the COVID just stole my last escape. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Raptors fan. Like I haven't missed oh, a yeah. game. I haven't missed like watching a game. Like that's my one thing that I like. Yeah. I give myself permission to just at an unhealthy level obsess about and, and even that's gone now. So I'm like, well, I guess it's just me and Jesus from here on out. So, Dude, it's forced Lent. It, it forced is. Lent. Every, everything's getting taken that's away. That's a brilliant way to say it. It, it is. And, and I think it's an opportunity. Like we can, we can either like, you know, fight it or fund it, right? And, and kind yeah. of push back against it and find something else. If, if you want to find something else to escape to, you'll find it. Um, but maybe it's... Tell me about, a, it's whether it's Sunday night, how many times are you preaching on Sunday these days? Preach, well, when, when we weren't doing yeah. live, when it wasn't online, if you're in person. I preach on Saturday night and that's like our capture. And then I yeah. preach twice on Sunday. That was all set to change until the COVID-19. Um, we were just about yeah. to launch a bunch of new services and we we're going to move our Saturday night to Thursday night. And that was going to be our capture. And then I was going to be, uh, in my mind, I was going to be free to go to different sites and preach live or whatever, or just not preach. Sure. I don't know if we'll do that. I might yeah. end up preaching just as much or more. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it has been up until now, three times, three times a week, Saturday night and then twice on Sunday. So when you're doing awesome, like this is an ideal Sunday afternoon or ideal Monday morning, what's the rhythm? You're trying to go, Hey, I've just done this huge spiritual, physical, emotional, mental energy yep. spend. And you're dealing with all the regret of what you should have said, all the highs of what God did. I never have those. What's like best, what's best case scenario, dude, Sunday night or Monday morning when you're hitting a home run? Uh, that, I mean, that's a roller coaster, as, as you know, and as all the pastors probably tuned in know. Like, and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, like you could be on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon mm-hmm. and done everything right and still just slip into this funk of self uh, like, like questioning yourself or loving yourself or like whatever, whatever it is, or self and being entitled, all the things. If I'm fine, if I'm most prone to temptation in any way, it's Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, hundred percent. So I generally try to stay 
fairly active and avoid, like I might take like a, a nap while the NFL or golf's on um, with my kids playing, you know, around me Sunday afternoon. I play basketball every Sunday night. Basketball is a huge piece of my life just from a, a rhythm standpoint. It's my one connection to the real world. Uh, as far as like guys who aren't Christians, that's my mission field. Those are the relationships I'm building. Um, so I play basketball like every Sunday night. So that that occupies me in a, what would yeah. be a, a generally not a good mental space to be in um, Sunday yeah. nights if I'm prone to anything. So, and then I'm up, I, I'm a Monday guy. So I, I hit Monday hard. Like I, my day off yeah. is Thursday. It used to be, I don't even know what it is right now. Everything's in the air, but uh, used to be uh, in, in the light of the COVID whole thing and all the stuff. But um, used to be Thursday night. I was hard done at like four o'clock. I was off Thursday night, all day Friday, Saturday till about one o'clock. I'd, I'd, I'd start my sermon process and then, and then go through Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then off Sunday afternoon, evening. So that was working mm-hmm. for me. Thanks that for was sharing working that. working for me pretty good, actually. Like yeah. from a health space, um, you know, I was, I was doing quite good. That said, you know, uh, as I was sharing with you before, um, not only are we in the, the COVID crisis, but we just we got our staff just got bit by the um, just by a bug basically of we're just losing staff and it's not because people are Mm. are checking out. We had two people go on stress leave um, and then some some family issues going on. So I'm just shorthanded. My assistant, our executive pastor, all that stuff are just gone. And so I'm fielding stuff that I haven't dealt with in, in years Mm. and I'm a lot more stressed than I normally am and not sleeping as good as I usually do. And I I feel like God even just pointing at, you know, maybe I had a little bit of false health and a false sense of security that, you know, your peace was from the systems that you built and the rhythms that you had, which that's great. But I think there's also a level of like the Lord wanting to be fundamentally enough and sometimes to let you go through these seasons where, you're, you're drawn out a little thin and you got to choose to kind of to cling to him and find peace that like passes understanding. I'm, I'm good at building peace that I can understand um, most of the time. But so that's, that's kind of how my, in a perfect world, my, uh, my rhythms work, but yeah. yeah. What have you found? Oh, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm tracking with you a lot. I mean, if I can do something physical, it makes such Me a too. difference. And then I need to get around people that I trust. I trust their voice. Um, so that often looks like my wife, my kids, a couple of buddies. And um, I'm looking for the person that I know would tell me the truth. And then they can usually, I just need to find someone that I know can point me in the right direction. And I was really fortunate young at a young age to have a bunch of buddies that weren't followers of Jesus, but they would come with me when I'd preach places. And so they didn't take the whole thing very seriously. Right. And so there's a good rhythm of like play that followed ministry and um, that weren't impressed by it or, and that that's really become something I keep trying to go back to for those people who, you know, really like me as a person, Mm -hmm. like really like, you know, just that, but aren't impressed by what I've done. And um, so much of my spiritual disciplines, my rhythms, I can, everyone's got like, I think of the language is like, whether it's keystone habit mm-hmm. or whatever it is, like something you follow the thread, it goes back to a specific thing that can unlock yep. a lot. For me, it's the people I'm spending time talking yep. to. So like even today, this conversation, I, I'll build the point to this week as an anchor point for encouraging me to think about yeah. my rhythms, to think about uh, 
my personal renewal, you know, and God, you know, the fire of my heart that you mentioned. Um, Hey, one more theme I'd love to jump into. Uh, We've got a bunch of time, so we'll take as much time as we need, but you're in a transition right now. It's not like a, you know, you're talking about shifting models, but you're also talking about their staff turnover. I'd love to go back to the big transition that your church experienced. Was it like 12 years ago, 13 years years ago? ago. It was 2000. Okay. Eight years ago. Summer 2012. Yeah. That's when I kind of took over. Yeah. 2012. That's right. And uh, I want to go right back there. I want to go a little bit out in front. Just take the time to set the stage. Um, how you found yourself at that church and then what kind of happened. And what I'd love to do if you're up for it is let people hear the story. Cause I think it's a really important story to hear, but then to reflect back and see what kind of, what can we learn about leading in times of transition? Cause I think it's even relevant now, but your church essentially went through a storm Yeah. and you're a 29 year old leader and you're trying to lead. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love to reflect. So tell us a bit of the sure. story and then we'll try to try to look at that and say, what can we learn yeah. even for today as we're leading in transition? Well, I mean, my, that story for me is a, is one of my keystone things, right? Like to always kind of keep coming back to that posture, that season. And oddly enough, I feel in, in a lot of ways in a similar season with different circumstances, with the COVID-19 and our staffing issues and all that, I'm in a, I'm in a similar posture, which um, having gone through the 2012 story, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of encouraged by it in a weird way, like what, what God's going to do. Um, basically, the story goes, 2012, I was the associate pastor here. I'd been here for, I don't know how many years. I came here in 2006. I'd been here for six years at that point. Been everything. I, was, I did everything except for kids and ministry. So at that point, I was the associate pastor. Uh, it was the second largest church in Atlantic Canada from a number standpoint. Like it was about 600 people at the time um, working with a, another, another leader. And uh, I bet people listening from all over the world, maybe from the States, be like 600. Yeah. How's that the second biggest church? But this, that's Atlantic Canada and that's Canada. Yeah. I mean, this is the, you can count on one hand a number of uh, churches that are yeah. up and above that's, a thousand. That's way above average in Canada. And that's a big church in Atlantic Canada. So uh, yeah, 2012, it was the, it was the summer of 2012, about July, I had a dream that I'd never really had uh, like a prophetic God dream, right? I knew when I had it, it was the Lord speaking. Um, I, I, in the dream, really, really quick, I, I find myself being driven into this I'm in my, my SUV and I'm driving down into this like large ferry, like, uh, like, like the one from like Vancouver to Victoria, you know, you drive your car down in. And so yeah. I, I drive in and I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, why am I in this? I, I want to go home. I'm not supposed to be here. Now I'm going to be stuck on this stupid boat and I got to, I don't even know where we're going. And so I'm like, get this anxiety, get out of my car, run upstairs. To, I'm, I'm finding myself with the captain and the crew and they're talking and they're tr- they're deliberating whether or not to go because it's going to be so rough. And the captain the captain said, "Let's go." I wake up and the Lord spoke to me and just said, "I'm driving you into something. You have no control over it, but don't be afraid. I'm with you." And I was as clear as I ever wow. heard God speak to me in my life. And which I didn't really know what to do with. I actually shared it with my senior pastor at the time, who later would be part of that storm. Um, but. I shared it with him. I was like, Hey, I don't even know what this means. Anyway, cool. Huh? And month, a month later, uh, I'd taken my wife to Halifax to see it's in Nova Scotia. It's about four hours away from here. That's if you want to go to the big city, you go to Halifax. So, uh, that's where you oh, go. Yeah. So it's a great city. Um, we have one of our locations there actually. So I'm there a fair bit at the time. Do you guys have a location? No, no, there? We were just one site at the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. 
So took my wife there, went to see Keith Urban. And for whatever reason, my, uh, my phone died and I just wasn't able to take phone, phone calls, which again, I got over the anxiety. This is still long enough ago that it was possible to, to leave and forget your, your power cable. So that's probably the last yeah, time. Digital addiction hadn't not set fully, in fully not yet. Fully. We were just like underlying addicts at that point. But um, so get home from that weekend, plug my phone in. There's a voicemail uh, from a person in the church, basically kind of confessing um, being basically moral failure with the senior pastor. Um, really great story. Let me just put this caveat. He's, he has since gone through restoration and recovery. He's back in ministry. His story actually, wow. like he and I have had a really, uh, an interesting kind of reconciliation and healing and the Lord's done a great work. And I actually don't want to run by that without saying that. Cause I'm not, that's not really going to be part of our story, but God even got the glory out of, out of his story. Wow. I really appreciate you mentioning yeah, that. Super important. And that's, that's something the Lord's put, put hit on my heart. Even in this season, we've got, um, we have three people right now where we're actually on, that are on our staff. We're paying full time. Uh, that basically were removed from ministry from other churches that we're we're doing restoration process with and like just to try to you wow. know and I just feel like that's the heart of God and one of the things you know we talk about what God's saying in this season one of the things I've I'm just convinced of is not only as as individuals but as pastors and churches I feel like God wants the church to just learn how to deal with sin and not not like mm. punt it and not like you know, in the past, I feel like there's always been this just like, eh, when someone, you know, fails, like as if, as if we're not all yeah. human and we're, all, you know, and so we've actually felt the Lord just, just really put that on us as like church fathers here at Kings. Like we have to get into the mess of this and we don't even know what it looks like all the way, but we're just going to start paying the price of being a restorative especially with pastors um that seemed to be wow. like we, the church hasn't been good at that and we didn't do it that well with uh, our former pastor like at the time and i've since even apologized or even owned you know um i was 29 hanging on by a thread and i just you know part of our restoration was like i wish i could have done that differently i wish i knew what i didn't know at the time i wish i yeah. could have been a source of strength for you for whatever reason um it didn't track that way uh but you know, I've learned from that at this season of my life to have a bit of a different, uh, different heart for people who are going through that and to see God bring restoration. So, um, but anyway, that, that aside, um, I came back, that all kind of blew up. He was removed that weekend. Um, and then two other staff just quit. And so we went from seven staff to four, at which point I was the I was the senior le senior leader, so so uh, in the interim, I basically at the end of the at the end of that service when like our we're we're part of the Wesleyan Church is technically our, our denomination we're part of, and so our denominational leader came in because this was like the senior leader, and so he was actually removed from from the the credentialed, you know, it was a big Wesleyan sure, thing yeah. at that time, and so uh, our denominational leader came in, read that statement, and then they basically handed me the mic. And I was just standing there like, uh, wow. Uh, and so at the back of our auditorium, um, at our Quispam location, there's this 
old tapestry that and it's not really an old building it's only 15 years old it's quite nice but for whatever reason this old tapestry was just hanging at the back and I always thought it was so ugly it's just like this thing these ladies had made and for some reason in our semi-modern outfit this old ugly thing was in there but uh, it has Second Chronicles 7 on it. It just says, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. And so I just, I said uh, into the mic, I don't know what to do, but that says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, that God God will God will heal. And so we're going to pray. And so I just said, I'm coming here. I'm coming wow. here Wednesday. I don't know what it looks like. Feel free to join me. I figured there'd be people leave uh, the church and there were, um, we saw quite a few people leave, but immediately a lot of people came. And so we never really saw a huge dip in attendance. Um, even within those first five or six weeks, um, we just kind of, we, we held our size. But what happened was there was a, a flushing of the system and like the church began to change just overnight with even just who was there as God was changing the heart of the leadership. And so you know, when I wow. look back at that time, it wasn't just that, um, you know, our church went through a storm, our church hit the rocks, the ship broke open. Uh, we, it was a complete reset. It was, uh, we were, we were dead and reborn in that season. Like the, the church that we were doesn't exist um, in, in many ways. And so I, I actually look at that as a season where it was a restart. It was a whole new, new thing. Um, in that window of time between like September and December, the board at our church was doing like the whole search committee thing. And, um, I was holding it down in the interim and one of yeah. the candidates, but as time went on, there was just more and more anointing and more and more like evidence of the spirit, um, behind my leadership and the leaders that I've brought around me, even in that season in the interim. And, uh, it was just, uh, wasn't a ton of deliberating at the time like even though there was other options our our board and there was just a sense that the lord had raised me up for that time and i had that sense as well and so was there a shift for you in the middle of that where you were like hey you're, at one point in time you're like hey i'm just holding down the ground here to oh man i'm beginning to actually have vision for this church was there a shift there where you went from being like maintenance to i actually can imagine a yeah future? yeah actually i never really had a maintenance you know, uh, sense in that Interesting. because I was actually planning to planning to plant. In fact, the, the, Oh, really? I didn't know yeah, that. The week, the week that happened, our denomination, like the denomination I'm part of called me and said, basically, uh, you know, we, we'd love, we'd love to, to lock together and plant and let's go. And I, and I actually distinctly remember being out on my deck. It was in an evening and just having a conversation with them just saying, Hey, let's just press pause on that. I do feel like I'm supposed to give myself wholly to this and let's just see what happens. And really it was just a yes in my spirit to that season. I remember, I think being prepared to plant actually set me up to have um, a certain degree of abandon with how I led the congregation mm. in that season. Um, because I was planning to start from scratch anyway, kind of like yourself um, where you kind of get in that mode where like, Hey man, I'll charge hell with six people. I really trust in a water pistol. Right. And like, yeah. I had, I had done that work. My wife and I just like, Hey Lord, we know that you're bringing um, some wrecking to this church. We know that you're, you're taking some things away and I'm good. I, I feel called here. I'm good. If you bring this down to nothing and you call me to rebuild just with the, with the root, you know? And so that was my posture going into it. And, and I even look back yeah. on some of the decisions that I made and, 
you know, I remember early on I had a, I had like a very powerful couple kind of come and start trying to push, push me around a little bit with, uh, with their money. They, they represented about, represented about 20% of the church operations wow. at the time. And I remember letting them walk, just be like, Hey, no, nah. you know, I'm 29, you know, and where'd you find, where'd you find the courage for that at 29? Because I don't have it now. So interesting, <laughs> but like, what's so interesting. Okay. There's a couple things you mentioned. I don't want to lose the threads here. We won't be able to talk about this fully no. on this episode, but we got to do another one. You talked about revitalization versus planting. Yep. And we've done a lot of talking about planting for the last five, 10 years uh, in Canada, around the Western yep. church as well. Uh, I think we haven't talked enough about revitalization because there are buildings with faithful people, yep. with legacy, um, a lot of prayers, yep. investment of time. And it's a different type of humble young leader that's going to go in and honor a story. Yes and help steward that transition. Mm -hmm. But there's also a whole other set of sort of challenges, but also resources and blessing yep. to be found there. And so, man, I think that one of the gifts that you've got to be for the church in this season is to have a, help the conversation about revitalization. Because I know the stats say for every one church that shut down, or four that shut down once right. planted, so we need church yep. planting. Definitely not throwing shade on that. I'm part of a church yep. plant right now. But I think if we, if some young leaders got serious about imagination or revitalization and like, you know, putting down roots within some traditional systems, yep. there's unique opportunity there as well. There is. Um, yeah. Any any comments on that? Before we go back to your story and talking about that that couple, I'll part. We'll get us back there. But any thoughts on that revitalization? I, mean, I, I definitely. Our our story is such a a like, everything was in like a, a pressure cooker, right? Like so, you even take the 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 tension and the uh the trauma that it takes to actually get permission to make aggressive changes for us hmm. you know that that that'll take a leader years to convince people hey right. we can't stay here we need to we need to you know we had the beauty of a bomb going off right where it's like everybody hmm. who remained was was repentant and open and like god we just want you to do what you want to do. Lead us where you want us to lead us. So, you know, I haven't actually had the experience of going into a group. Um, I think if we can, if, if you can get the heart posture of any congregation to that place of, we just want God to speak. We want to give God permission to lead. We're willing to surrender idols. We're willing to surrender agendas, dreams, traditions, if you can get that posture in the people, any like God, God can hmm. not only can God use that, but then the same way there was so much change fast. Uh, I also saw like a compound, you know, I, I had an infrastructure of people like good people that, you know, the growth just took off. Right. And we've been on a, we've been right. on a pretty aggressive growth, growth trend for, you know, however many years it is, eight years now of consistent, consistent growth in every single way. Right. So, um, the, take me back to that moment. You were talking about you're 29 and the shift is happening. And so you're, you actually mentioned at a specific moment where someone threatened even to pull the money or to leave and you found the courage to sort of hold your ground. I want to go back to that moment. Cause I want to, I want to know how'd you find the courage to lead with conviction in the midst of the chaos I there? Th I think it was, I was, I was speaking to that because it was, um, it was just a real grace bubble I was in. Like it was 
because I'd already surrendered before I had anything to hang on to. Like I, I never, I never went into that season holding anything. Like that would be a lot harder for me now, although I, I have a different piece of right. a different sense of authority and I'm a little more comfortable in my own skin eight years into it and, you know, having some wins and losses in that time. But it, early on it was, I had church planner mentality inside of, uh, you know, a, a church that's going through crisis and really a restart. And so that really lended itself well. Cause I look back on some of those conversations and stuff that I had, you know, I was eight years younger and way more naive and like that actually served me really well. I didn't know what I didn't know. And it, it, uh, you know, I, I wasn't afraid, I guess you don't, you didn't have as much to lose, I guess that that, if that right. makes sense. And so, well, I've been thinking about that a lot with the shift going on. Like you can't, we can't not talk a little bit what we're currently experiencing. Yes. Um, I'm sure we've set context already in some ways, but you know, right now, no one's gathering Sunday yeah. mornings. It's all, you know, some people are doing online gatherings, all of, there's other options. People are doing house churches, but even those are being asked to can't do over 10 people kind of thing in different yeah. regions. Um, it does kind of expose how much we've banked on a system of Sunday yeah. gatherings to move the dial forward. Um, what are you thinking in this time as you're reflecting, you, you mentioned this earlier, reflecting on your own personal life, some maybe things you're comfortable, but even as you think about leading this church, it's been on this growth trajectory. And you're saying, what does it look like to lead in this time? Yeah, what are, what's sort of, what are you kind of standing on or what is, what's kind of the, the vision, the, the kind of the marching orders you give in church or like, yeah, talk to me about how you're processing Man, this right now. I, I mean, we're just like so many people, I guess right now the gift in it, you know, as a time of this recording, I hope, you know, people are watching this at some point and that's old news and we've moved on. Yeah. And, yeah. Hopefully this is old I mean, news. We're right yeah. in it right now. Like we're right in the middle of just this uncharted territory. And I think, I think the gift in it right now though, is some divine disruption, not just to the culture. We are talking about revival and, you know, seeing the fear of God return to the culture, but even in the church and like false comforts or things that maybe were, we need it for a season, but need to go for the next season. Like, I think, I think at, I've come as far in my process as this. I'm willing to affirm that this is good and God is going to use this for good. And I just need to, again, get in that posture of open-handed letting go of, you know, it has to be this way or it has to like, it's a huge win just that the church is having to ask these questions and like, do do inventory and say what actually is the church because you know i was saying to you on the phone yesterday um man it, you even think you're a healthy church you even think you're embodying a certain degree of you know we're more than just sunday and you know it's 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 more than just you know like a gathering it's it's you know the church isn't a building but then when you take the building away and you see what you have left you're like ah it's not really a lot of people either you know it's like right so it's, it really is, it's, it's, it's laying bare, I guess, the actuality in some ways of, of the substance of what we have. Now, I think there are some legitimate, to, to give us a pass on some things, there are some legitimate challenges with what even a healthy church, like a church is community, a church is, a yeah. church is like sharing the gospel, which takes community at some level, like connection, mm -hmm. um, all of the things that we are, like there really are some, some hurdles that we need to be um, resourceful and intentional with. But nonetheless, I, I do feel like this is a, 
a really important time for church leaders to be asking the question like how do we mobilize the church um if this is the new normal you know um who knows like so yeah. I, I, i'd be interested like what ideas are you guys are you guys having are you what, what conversations are you having like we're still just kind of outside of getting content out there and figuring out like how to yeah. create family family discipleship and that kind of stuff i we haven't got any like amazing ooh you know that was the that was yeah. the invention of the of the covid crisis for the church i hope that comes like and i hope somebody's like figures out some amazing you know ingenuity in this yeah. but it hasn't been us yet <laughs> no i think all i have is a bit of a prayer that so i the city that i'm planting in is vancouver and um most people in Vancouver don't know their neighbors. Right. Like in the downtown core, 40, 50% of people live alone and would say they don't know the names of the people that live in the same floor. Mm-hmm. And so there is going to be a sense by which, um, yeah, we just have an opportunity to meet our neighbors. And I know that because we're not, we're, there's gonna, and there's going to be an exposure of the hunger. Like loneliness is an epidemic. Mm-hmm. This has been, we've been talking about this for a long right. time. And um, I just think this will kind of, make that a more acute need. Um, Yeah. And I think, I do think that, you know, whether it's two months, two weeks, six months, whatever it is, we'll be gathering again and all these things. But imagine if we gathered again and we knew four more neighbors names. I mean, I'm just thinking about the implications for things like alpha where, you know, people are more likely to come if they have a personal connection to somebody bringing them or like just an invitational culture. So I think that's the silver lining. Now how to mobilize that at scale, I think exposes one of our, our yeah. weakness as a church is we, we kind of think let's do things that we can control at yes. scale, but we can't control people. Right. We can't force people to meet yeah. their neighbors. So this is really actually, um, this is a season of trusting. Yeah. And I think for me, praying God for the people that are part of our community, yeah. uh, would you just grace them in their place, in their neighborhood, right. on their condo floor, wherever it is? Cause I don't have a system. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think though, there's, there is something to be said about if you'll, if you'll allow me to get, um, maybe a little charismatic on, 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 on Go the for pod, it, dude. but, uh, if <laughs> there, there's something to be said about like apostolic ingenuity in this hour, like that. Yes. I think like the voice of the Lord is speaking and starting to clarify some things. And I think this is a season again, I, I, I identify and I hear the call, but this is a season for like, apostolic ideation and authority to kind of stand up. And I think it's just calling into question, like we don't really know what we're doing outside of having a captive audience, right? Like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, like, like as far as, I think that's what's so refreshing about like, like an alpha is there's this, it's, it's an example of the kingdom of God going out and expanding and multiplying beyond just like having to gather everybody in one place and be like, okay, we got it. Everybody good. Okay. Go be the church. Like there's like this, there's this system that's come from like this apostolic Hmm. anointing. And I just wonder if this season isn't going to provide an opportunity for like church leaders to really get a handle on what does it mean to mobilize my people? Like I'm just asking those questions right now about, okay. I love that. I think it's, I think what I hear you saying is, you know, my conviction would be that there are great leaders all over Canada, all over the world. Um, But we can be lulled into what's working and not leaning into like, maybe this opportunity is going to say, man, I need to upgrade my leadership or actually really lean into what God's given me, what he's put in my heart, find my voice. 
um, find my creativity yeah. and uh, also take, take risks. You know, I think that's what even stood out to me when I heard your story about the pressure cooker moment of being 29 and having the courage to, to lead is like, you said you had nothing to lose. I think one of the reasons why great leaders, like you're talking about, uh, don't, don't innovate or move forward is the fear of losing what is yeah. normal and good. And when that's stripped away like this moment, I think it's creating a vacuum and opportunity for leaders to find their voice. Yeah. And bro, I think you're one of those leaders. Like I'm just listening to you chat today and I'm just so grateful for the vulnerability, the humility, um, but also the assistants say like, even as a vulnerable, humble, don't know 100% leader, I'm going to choose to lead yeah. still. Yeah, and we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think the Lord is gracing us as the church in this day with having to like, just having to deal with the tension and the trauma of figuring some things out. And for whatever reason, he's letting, he's allowing us to, you know what, Brent and Jason are going to have a conversation and that's going to contribute. And like, he's allowing us to figure this out. You know, I was reading yesterday, I shared with our staff, I think it's in Proverbs where it says like, it's, uh, it's the glory of Kings to, or it's the glory of God or it's the glory of King. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of Kings to, to, to find it. Like in that God in his design actually loves to kind of hide things for us to discover. Like mm. if he just wanted to airdrop to us instructions for the COVID virus, he could do that, right? He could, he could show up in a dream, but I think he, I think he loves the participation. And I, I take a little bit of, I find peace in that, in that if the Lord wanted me to know everything now, or if he wanted me to have the solution, he'd give it to me. Um, but there's something he, he loves about the process of us having to put our, have yeah. these conversations. Like he, I think the Lord loves this. And to, for us to stay mm. grounded in the pleasure of God and not panic, I think is a huge, huge thing in this season like that. Yeah. And God's not, God's not freaked out by this. In fact, he's so not freaked out that he's willing to like, just let it ride until Brent and Jason and the other Canadian church leaders figure some stuff out, you know, like, <laughs> Oh man. Well, one thing I just noticed hearing you chat is like, you know, even as you reflect on your story, when you're 29 at the church and the painful thing that's happening there and the painful realities of saying the painful reality of any transition is this sense of like being willing to believe that God can do something beautiful in the disruption. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's just a real gift to reflect on today. And just as we wrap up, any other reflections as you look back at leading in a time of transition then for anyone else who's got a transition coming or a crisis coming or they're just right in the middle of it right now because of what's going on, what else do you draw back from that season that you kind of pull forward as sort of like grounding principles to live by in this time? I, I think, I think the, the biggest thing really is just like personal intimacy with God and then like corporate intimacy with God. Like I just don't think... I just don't think as a leader or as a church, you're going to get very far um, engineering and manufacturing life. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's a legitimate supernatural kingdom of God substance that the Lord can only deliver through his presence. And I think, I think if I look back on that season, it was just super raw for me, like seeing what's alive and what's dead and whether that's in me or that's in the church. And so, you know, I, I, I try to navigate the seasons with a certain level of, of that sort of framework of, you know, I, I have a message I did back in the, in the fall. Cause I was, 
it, it was the it was the end of seven years um, back in September. Mm. So I, I had our church revisit it, um, and instead of I kind of preached to our church just about like we can we can keep going around the mountain and do this for another seven years, or we can ask God to do it over again and to take us higher. And so let's posture ourselves in the same way we did seven years ago when we weren't two thousand people and we weren't you know in in four in three provinces and that kind of thing, and and one of the things I was preaching from was the, uh, was the, was the, when Jesus cleansed the temple and he came in, he came in and he, and he flipped out, like he freaked out. And it's so hard to even wrap your head around angry Jesus, you know, like we, hmm. we have a hard time picturing Jesus mad. Um, but that's like, a, he's free. He's mad in that, in like just flipping tables. And like John talks about him creating a whip and like, like you're really reconciling that. And, I, I used the the analogy of um, you heard of that term uh, uncanny valley. Um, it's it's a no. it's a term. It's like a sociological or a psycho psychological term. Um, that feeling of repulsion we get when you see like a when you see like a robot, like a a, a robot that like almost looks human, or uh, or like a <laughs> puppet that looks it's almost too human. Or you watch some of the uh, the new Star Wars movies that like the the CGI of like young Harrison Ford or, or like Princess Leia, like, you know, that's actually not her and it's not quite living. And that uncanny Valley is actually this, uh, this terminology that, um, that they, I don't know whoever they are, they've given, uh, to those, those they, people them. who come up yeah, with terms know, like right? that. But it's like this term that they have that, uh, it refers to the amount of repulsion that we have as human beings with, something that looks so close to life, like the closer it looks to being alive, the more repulsed we are by it, if it's not. And, and I, I carry that over to Jesus's reaction in the temple, this thing that's supposed to be this mm. life giving thing, this thing that actually produces life and contributes. It's a house where says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be this place where the kingdom of God actually like God's presence and his power and his grace deposits in people. And this now has gotten inverted mm. to a machinery that sucks and draws and takes from people. And, and I think, I think the ultimate guide for my life and for my ministry is, am I allowing, am I allowing the Lord to, to, to deposit real life in and through me? Is there real life coming to me? Is there real life flowing through me? Is there a real kingdom life in our church or is it just counterfeit? And can I look at it through like mm. the uncanny Valley lens and really call, call out like that's not the real thing, you know? And I think if I look back on that season, it was probably the most clear I'd ever seen like, okay, that's dead. It has the appearance of life, but it's really dead. And that's why Jesus cursed the fig tree, right? It had the appearance of fruitfulness but it was actually fruitless. And he says, so may you never bear mm. fruit again, right? And then he goes in and prophetically cleanses the temple doing the same thing, right? And so, you know, I look back on that season and I'm just, I just try to remind myself to like be very, just very aware of the appearance of life, but it's actually just this manufactured thing. Like that's not, it's not really bearing fruit. It's not really, you know, am, am I, Am I just going through the motions or do I actually, do I actually have the life of Jesus growing and flowing through me in increasing measure? I, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest takeaway from that season. And that's the thing I keep, mm. I, honestly, I hope I never leave. I hope I kind of can stay in that posture as, as my life scales 
I have more people in my home now than I did in 2012. I have more people in my church now. Uh, but the principle is the same. Life is life. And if you're willing to actually look at it close enough with a critical eye and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal, like, that's counterfeit. I, I think that's the biggest, that's my biggest takeaway out of that whole, my lesson out of that whole thing was, because yeah. our church, histor- like, regionally, again, like I said, it's the second largest church. I think people would have looked at it and right. said, that's, that's a great church. That church has got it. And then after that kind of blew up and I saw what we really had left, it was like, man, you know, I was like, what was me? You know, I'm ruined. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord started to do a work of renewal. So, Well, thanks so much for listening to another conversation on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And big thanks to Brent Ingersoll for making time to be part of this conversation. Just so grateful that he led us into their story and for him to share his passion for the church in Canada and just such humility and faith. Man, I just found it so compelling and full of hope. If you want to connect more with Brent and King's Church, you can find links to their website and online content in the episode notes on our blog. And if you're interested, you can check out a few different videos from this conversation throughout the week on the Canadian Church Leaders YouTube channel. Now, next week, we have Mark Sayers on the podcast. It's going to release this Monday. And I think Brent and I quoted him a number of times. So it was just probably about time we just got a full interview with Mark Sayers on the podcast. If you haven't heard Mark before, he's the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. He's the author of Reappearing Church and Disappearing Church. And I think he has the best meta-analysis of the cultural trends that are shaping the world that we're living in. And while he's so good articulating the big trends that are going on in this conversation, He brought it right down to the ground, spoke right to the heart of a leader, incredible insights into what God might be doing in the midst of COVID-19 around the world and locally. And what stood out to me the most and what I'm most excited for you to hear is the prophetic words that he gave for the church in Canada. I can't wait for you to hear it. I want to thank you guys for listening and engaging with the podcast week to week. Thanks for liking, subscribing, and sharing this with others. If you want to stay more up to date, as always, feel free to follow at Church Leaders Network on Instagram. If you've got any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at contact at ccln.ca. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you later.